Thanks, Alex. Well, here we are in lockdown again. And just when we thought we were coming out of it, I mean, two months ago, it looked like things were going to continue to open up, right? Restrictions at ease, the trains and buses were filling up. Sydney Uni had announced that they'd allow larger in-person lectures, lectures for semester two. And we were looking forward to an in-person NCOM. But now here we are in lockdown again and more severe than this time last year. So you might be feeling pretty down having been stuck in lockdown for the last five weeks and fair enough. And that's why we changed the topic for this special online ANCON to refresh. Because like me, you might be keen for some encouragement and refreshment from God in this season. And it's also easy to feel quite unproductive and at a loose end when we're all stuck at home. But God has some encouragement for us in that too. Like every season of life, life in lockdown has the potential to be spiritually productive. I wonder if you've thought of it like that, that this could be a spiritually productive time for you. That's why we've subtitled this week, Growing Spiritually in Lockdown and Beyond, because thinking along God's lines for lockdown will actually prepare us to grow spiritually in every season of life. So the question I want us to focus on today is this, what is God doing in you right now in this season? And you might say, well, frankly, unless Jesus opens up some TikTok account or starts a series on Netflix or turns up in the long jump at the Olympics, he's not going to get much of a look in into my life because, frankly, that's where I am, this lockdown. I know what you mean. But does God have some sort of spiritual agenda for you during lockdown or indeed any season of life? You might be asking the question now in lockdown, but you'll probably find yourself asking the same question at lots of points in years to come. When you're exhausted from working 60-hour weeks in the job that you thought you really wanted, or when you've got two kids under four and life is nappies and tantrums, or when life doesn't turn out as you expected because of chronic illness or unemployment or relationship breakdown or when you're 80 and can't do all the things that you used to love to do, that same question is going to come back to you. What is God doing in me right now in this season? Well, the one true living God who made you, who knows you, and sent his son Jesus to die for you, he has a genuinely exciting answer for you. What's he doing in you right now in this season? He's making you radiant. He's achieving his amazing plan for you, his plan for your glorious transformation. Now, does that sound a bit over the top? Does it frankly sound a bit implausible? Or maybe not quite how you've been experiencing the last few weeks of lockdown? Well, let's look at what God tells us in his word. If you can find your Bible, here's mine. And turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapters 3 and 4. I'll give you a moment to do that. 2 Corinthians chapters 3 and 4. Our key verse for today is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It's reproduced in the center of the pages on the outline as well in your Ancon book. And it probably will help you quite a lot if you decide to take a few notes. So chapter 3, verse 18, Paul writes this. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image 
with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Here's the answer to our question. What is God doing in you right now in this season? God is transforming you by his Spirit into the image of the Lord Jesus with ever-increasing glory. Now, to understand how precious and wonderful this is, we need to dig down into what Paul is saying in this chapter. Paul has been contrasting the old covenant established by God with the Israelites through Moses at Mount Sinai with the new covenant established by Jesus in his death and resurrection. Specifically, he's contrasting them in terms of their respective glory. So we need to remember what happened to Moses when he met with God to receive the Ten Commandments in the old covenant. Turn in your Bible again to Exodus chapter 34 to get some of the background. Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 to 35. Exodus 34, 29 to 35. We read there. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. I mean, I may say fair enough, right? Moses had come down from the mountain with a supernaturally shiny face. Frankly, if you turned up to my place with a supernaturally shiny face, I'd probably run away as well. But Moses called to them, we read. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he'd been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Whenever Moses met with the Lord God, he would come out shiny, literally radiant. He would take off his mask, enter the Lord's presence, and the Lord would speak with him as Moses contemplated the Lord's glory. And as a result, when he came out, his face was transformed. It was shiny, radiant, glorious. Paul's point in 2 Corinthians 3 is that as impressive as the old covenant glory was, God has replaced it now with a more glorious and permanent new covenant in Jesus. So turn back with me again to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, but this time verses 7 to 11. Paul writes this. He says, Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? So the new covenant we have in Jesus is more glorious than what Moses experienced. But frankly, you look around on Zoom, do you see any shiny faces? I've got a bit of a shiny top head here, but where's your shiny, glorious face if the new covenant in Jesus has more glory than Moses experienced? 
Well, have a look again at the verse with which we started. Chapter 3, verse 18. Let's break down now what Paul says here. He starts, and we all, notice it's not just about Moses now, it's every Christian, everyone who's turned to Jesus in repentance and faith. And we all, he says, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. In the new covenant in Jesus, it's not Moses who unveils his face and goes into the Lord's presence to contemplate God's glory. Now it's all of us. You get to contemplate God's glory in his presence. How's that? Jesus and the Spirit. When you look at Jesus, you are seeing the glory of God in the flesh. Just thought I'd drop that in there. Stay tuned for Ancon next year, 2022, in the flesh, version number two. Look down a bit further in your Bible at what Paul says in chapter 4, verse 4. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The, the gospel, this message from God that we proclaim is about the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. As we read the New Testament, read the testimony of the apostles, they contain the gospel message about Jesus, Jesus who is the very image of God come in the flesh. The New Testament tells us what he did, what Jesus was like, what Jesus said, how Jesus treated people, how he forgave sins, how he was full of compassion and mercy, how he confronted evil and wrongdoing, how he refused to tolerate injustice, how full of humility he laid down his life for us, how full of power he rose from the dead and is alive today. What you're seeing there in the glory of Jesus is God himself. Paul says it again two verses later, chapter 4, verse 6. For God said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, where? In the face of Jesus Christ. When you behold the face of Jesus Christ in the testimony of the New Testament, you have real knowledge of the glory of God. Moses walked unmasked into the light of God's presence in the tent of meeting to contemplate God's glory. But living on this side of the coming of Jesus Christ and with the eyewitness testimony of the New Testament, you and I get a better grasp of God's glory than Moses did. Now, that feels a bit hard to believe, doesn't it? After all, Moses got to be in that physical, luminescent presence of God's glory and came out with a glow-in-the-dark face. But in coming to a knowledge of Jesus, knowing him and who he is through this gospel message, we have come to a richer grasp of God's glory. And whereas Moses went into a special tent of meeting to contemplate God's glory, you don't need to put up some special tent in your backyard or your bedroom because if you've turned to the Lord Jesus in faith and repentance, he's come to you by his spirit. Turn back to chapter 3 again and have a look at verses 16 and 17. Paul says, Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, that is the Lord Jesus, the veil is taken away that is the veil that stops them seeing the glory of God. And he continues, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When you turn to the Lord Jesus, the spirit 
is inseparably at work in you. I think that's the point Paul is making when he says the Lord is the Spirit. You don't turn to Jesus in repentance and faith without receiving the blessing of the Spirit. For God is one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And it's the Spirit working in your heart that takes away the veil and allows you to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so that brings us back to our key verse, chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image. Here's the exciting bit. That's the answer to our original question. What is God doing in me, in you, right now in this season? He's transforming us into Jesus' image. Chapter 4, verse 4, we just read that Jesus is the image of God. Here we're reminded that we're being transformed into Jesus' image. I wonder if you get how big a deal that is. This is the fulfilment of God's original creation plan for you. See, according to Genesis chapter 1, every human being has been made by God in his image. We're meant to be his image bearers in his world, representatives of his ruling presence in the world. We're meant to rule his world, his way, and do it for him. That's what God intends you to do in his world. That's your job. Whether you're 20, 80, whether you're a woman, a man, whether you're single, married, whether you're paid or unpaid. But that universal human calling to live as his image bearers in his world, we universally rejected. We rejected his word. We rejected his way. We reject the very idea that it's his world anyway and that we have any obligation towards God who made it all and us. That rejection, that's sin. And you and I, we live with the painful and tragic consequences of that rejection of our calling to be his image bearers. We live with the pain and tragic consequences every day all around us. But then Jesus comes as the true image bearer, the perfect image of the one true living God and who takes on himself the guilt and consequences of our rebellion and dies in our place. And now through our turning to him in repentance and faith and through contemplation of him in the power of the spirit, we are being transformed into the image bearers that we've failed to be. In fact, as we go on contemplating the Lord Jesus, we're transformed more and more into his image, which is the image of God. So God's original creation plan for you is being fulfilled as he works this transformation in you to make you more and more like Jesus. Like me, you've probably heard lots of people talk about being the best version of yourself. It's all over the internet. All sorts of tips and techniques for becoming the best version of you. It's become a marketing hook promoted by self-help gurus. It's made its way into promotional material of lots of schools here in Sydney, both public and private. Send your kids to us. We'll help them become the best version of themselves. And in case you didn't know why you came to uni, New South Wales Uni states on its website that university is about discovering the best version of yourself. What does it really mean to become the best version of yourself? The most successful version of yourself? The fittest version of yourself? 
maybe the richest version of you, the most happy version, the most popular version. Well, God already has a plan for you to become the best version of yourself. It's to see you transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus. Now, clearly that does not mean transformed to look like a Middle Eastern man around 30 years of age. Though it does mean one day sharing the same sort of immortal resurrection body that the Lord Jesus now enjoys. But that's a transformation for which we have to wait until Jesus' return. So what does it look like to be transformed now into the image of the Lord Jesus? I find it helpful to talk about transformation into the likeness of Jesus in four areas, two C's and two P's character and convictions, passions and priorities. Transformation of my character to be more like Jesus means showing more fruit of his spirit in my life. You might be familiar with the list in Galatians chapter 5, showing more love, more joy, more peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, But also there's other godly characteristics we find in the New Testament. Humility, generosity, compassion, forgiveness, thankfulness. That's transformation of my character. There's also transformation of my convictions to be more like Jesus. That means rejecting the lies of the world and holding more firmly to Jesus' truth. means humbly learning to see things the way God sees them as revealed in his Bible. Transformation of my passions to be more like Jesus means growing a greater love for God and his people. It means growing a greater hatred of evil and wickedness. It means caring like Jesus cares, sharing his passion for the lost, for the outcast. It's lovingly chasing after the one who has wandered away. It's longing to please your heavenly father, but it's also feeling Jesus' indignation at those who sin against others or his grief over those who've rejected God's offer of life. And finally, transformation of my priorities to be more like Jesus means a determination to do God's will above my own, putting sacrificial love for others ahead of my own personal comfort, means seeking first our heavenly father's kingdom rather than the offerings of this world. It's making time for prayer when there's lots of other ministry and things to do. See, transformation into Jesus' image is a rich, whole-of-life vision. It captures your character, your convictions, your passions, your priorities. And as I'm transformed into Jesus' image, that's when I truly become the best version of me. When the glory of Jesus' image in these ways shines out of you, That's the best version of you. A trap people fall into thinking here is that maybe it means I have to stop somehow my own personality and gifts and unique interests and contribution. Somehow do I have to become like permanently super serious, only interested in reading the Bible, evangelizing and praying for three hours a day. That is a vacuous stereotype. It undervalues the creativity God has expressed in making you you. Being transformed into the image of Jesus, it will mean I have a passion for those who are lost. It will mean that I treasure God's word and that I am more devoted to prayer, but it does not mean I stop stop liking cycling or Indian curries. 
both of which Jesus never got to enjoy as he walked around Palestine. Being transformed into the image of Jesus does not mean abandoning the wonderful individual characteristics which, with which God has made us. What it does mean is killing off the rebellious and sinful bits of your life in the power of his spirit within you. So being transformed into Jesus' image means you become more courageous for God, more filled with faith, more loving, more kind, more honest, more joyful, more content, and less selfish, less mean, less driven by what others think, and less sucked in by the lies of the world. That's the best version of you that God is producing. And notice what Paul says next about this. Back to our key verse in chapter 3, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. That ever-increasing glory is the inner glory of continual transformation, where you're becoming more and more like Jesus in your character and convictions, your passions and priorities. See, Moses' glory was external. It was impressive, but superficial. The greater and more lasting glory of the new covenant is your internal transformation into the image of Jesus. That is more significant and more profound than the superficial radiance of Moses' shiny face. So, you know, when you show patience with your family or those you live with, that's glorious. When you speak a kind word to those who are angry at you, that's glory right there, shining forth. When you exercise self-control and step away from temptation, that's the image of Jesus shining gloriously in you. When you love the lonely, when you defend those who are unjustly oppressed, when you step out in faith and take a risk for God's kingdom, that's glorious. When you control your tongue rather than lashing out, when you hold gently but firmly to the truth of God as revealed in the Bible, or when you put others' needs ahead of your own. Now, the world might say at that point you're being weak, you're being foolish, you're giving up too much, but we know better. We know it's truly glorious because at that moment, we are like our Heavenly Father and Jesus our Lord and much more profoundly glorious than if your face was just scarily shiny because you're being transformed into the glorious image of Jesus. So how does this inner transformation into Jesus' image happen? Well, again, back to our verse. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's transformation through contemplation. We're inwardly transformed as we contemplate the Lord Jesus' glory, as we gaze at him, which we do through reading the Bible that tells us about him, and as we share the good news about Jesus with one another. We'll talk about this transformation through contemplation tomorrow in particular. But the second important thing to note here is where Paul finishes this verse. The transformation comes from the Lord Jesus, who is the Spirit. 
It's a spiritual transformation as we engage with God's word. What is God doing in you right now in this season? This is it. Jesus is transforming you into his image by his spirit within you with ever-increasing glory. And, and here's what I find really encouraging about this. This is not something that COVID can stop. Lockdown, rings of steel, vaccine delays, none of this in any way impedes this glorious transformation that God is doing in your life right now as you contemplate the Lord Jesus. And God promises to keep on doing it through every season of your life. And because it's internal, this transformation into the image of Jesus continues in all circumstances. A bit later in chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Jesus' inward transformation project is unimpeded by outward circumstance. In fact, the inward renewal is often prompted by the outward circumstances. The outward struggles are opportunities to grow in greater hope and greater faith, greater love. We're clay jars, Paul says in chapter 4, verse 7. We're weak. We're throwaway cups who yet shine forth the glory of Jesus as we're transformed into his image. Lockdown won't be the last challenge you face in life. You know that. It might not even be the most significant challenge you're facing right now. So know when you ask the question, what is God doing in me right now in this season? This is the answer. He's working to transform me into his image by his spirit with ever increasing glory. Is that what you want? Do you want to be more like Jesus in all of these ways? When I was seven years old, I was in year two at school and the teacher set us a task. We had to write on a bit of paper what we want to be when we grow up and draw a picture to go with it. No doubt you've been asked that same question many times. You might still be being asked that question right now. At some point, people will stop asking, what do you want to be when you grow up? Usually it'll be once you have your first job post-uni. In a way, it's a bit of a shame they stop asking. It's good to have aspirations to be shooting for something, though the what do you want to be question is very misleading. It does feed the assumption that I'm defined by my job. But if we were to ask one another, who do you want to be when you grow up? That's actually a really helpful question and one that never outlives its use by date. Do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to be made like him in your character, your convictions, your passions and priorities? Or is your heart set on something lesser, something less glorious, less permanent, less valuable? Because this glorious transformation is what Jesus wants to do in you right now in this season and in every season of your life as you turn to him. So when my year two teacher set us this task, you know what I wrote down? What do I want to be? I want to be a newsreader. I wanted to be someone who read the news on the TV. Now, the strange thing was, I didn't really want to be a newsreader, but I felt like I didn't have a choice. Why was that? Well, I wore glasses. And the only job I knew where someone wore glasses 
was the newsreader on the TV news that my parents watched every night. And I wore glasses. So I guess that I meant I had to be a newsreader, not that I really wanted to. Now, maybe you feel a bit like that with the question, do you want to be more like Jesus? You know the right answer is, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. So I guess, yeah, I want to be like Jesus. Wanting to be like Jesus does not mean stop wanting everything else. You might still want to finish uni, get a job, learn the piano, buy a dog. But when you strip away all those other anxieties and distractions that fill the present moment, and when you lift yourself out of what is filling your life, ask yourself, is it towards Jesus where you want to go? Is that where, deep down, you do want to head? Now, if you've given yourself to Jesus, then his spirit is in you. And I know that the answer will be yes. I really would like him to do that transformation in me. And if the answer is no, no, I, I, deep down, I, I don't think that's what I really want. Then you do need to do some business with God. As Paul says in chapter 5, verse 5, Christ died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Jesus died for you to save you from God's judgment for your sin so that you might live for him and that he might bring about this very transformation in you. So turn to Jesus, if that's you, in repentance and faith so that you might become a new creation and be reconciled with God. You might like to tell a Christian friend that you want to become a Christian and ask them to pray with you. And if you're still checking out the Christian faith, come along to the Exploring Jesus sessions each afternoon where they'll be talking about who Jesus is. See, I reckon this is something we should all jump on board with, with real excitement for God's inward transformation project. For one day when Jesus returns and we all stand before him in resurrected, perfected glory, his transformation work will be complete in each of us who've turned to him in faith. We'll be fully like him. You will be fully you and fully like him. That's the glory for which he saved you in Christ Jesus. That's the work that he's doing in you right now, today, in this season and in every season of life. I reckon that's worth getting excited about and jumping on board with. And how this inward transformation happens, that's what we're going to explore the rest of this week. And I hope you'll stay with us so we can explore it together. But right now, we're going to be joined by Alex and Alice, who are going to chat through with us what this inward transformation into the image of Jesus has meant for them. Alex, you've already met. Alex serves as the EU president this year. And Alice is one of the EU uh, Howard Guinness Project Ministry staff, one of our Howies, uh, and an ex-student of the EU. It's great to have you both join us. I'm going to ask you guys a few questions. Um, and I'll start with you, Alice. Alice, uh, what's it look like for you to embrace God's vision for your life, this vision of growing in Christ-likeness? Yes, well, that is a big question, and I feel like I'm still letting um, some of that talk settle over me. But um, one of the things that jumps to mind for me is um, not settling for sinfulness in my life. I think there are so many times where it's easy to self-justify or be like, oh, 
you know, I was really tired. So I know I snapped, but they didn't understand what was going on for me. But I think like God has been transforming me to not settle for that, but to keep um, praying to him, acknowledging those things and trying to be, to, to be growing in those areas. Do you have any specific examples, Alice? Like what's a particular, you know, just, uh, just sharing with a few hundred people, um, yes. <laughs> any particular areas that God's been growing you to be more like Jesus? Um, yeah, I can think of heaps, but um, one in particular I think would be um, patience. I find it so easy to be impatient with people when they're not doing exactly what I want them to do. Um, and I can think of a particular example where a friend actually pulled me up on that and said, Alice, I've just noticed that often in this kind of situation you react like this and that's actually really hurtful to me. Oh, <laughs> hurts to hear. How, um, how did you how did you respond when your friend sort of pointed that out to you? That sounds pretty confrontational. Yes. Well, definitely in hindsight, I am so, so thankful for her. At the time, I think it was very hard not to be defensive, but I think I could even then see that what she was saying was true because I knew that was a tendency in myself. So I think, um, yeah, that was, that's been really um, a way that God has used to help me to be aware of when I'm being impatient with people and also um, to keep loving others. Yeah. Yeah. It's really helpful, Alice, because we're going to come back on Thursday morning and talk a bit about how God does do this transformation amongst Christian communities. So I think that's really helpful. You sort of mentioned that already. Alex, if we can turn to you, what's it look like for you as you've embraced God's vision for you to grow into the image of Jesus? Yeah, I think a big thing that I've had to realise over time is that it's more than just knowing about Jesus and who he was um, and what he has done. Like That's all really important. But this vision extends beyond that. God's interested in transforming my heart and my actions as well. Um, so God doesn't just save me from sin, but he's actually interested in transforming me, not just to know that he has done amazing things like brought me into his family and forgiven me and given me the offer of life with him and his people forever, but he actually wants me to be a different person now. And that means living, thinking, feeling differently to how I did before. Well, I can ask you the same question maybe I asked Alice, like any specific examples? Are you happy to share with us there about how God's been doing that transformation in you? Yeah, I think uh, a big one, I think, has been challenging me to better consider the needs of others um, and not just, to use an Olympic metaphor, run my own race. Um, I have some memories in early primary school, like walking out the, the front gate and with my parents and um kids from my class waving goodbye to me at the end of the day and me just not acknowledging their presence at all. Not even just, I don't know, saying, oh, see you tomorrow, but actually not acknowledging their presence. Um, and so God has transformed me from that person years and years ago into someone who now actually, by his kindness, um, first of all, is aware that other people exist, but also um, actually seeks to love and care for them. And I don't do that perfectly, but and that's something cool that he has been working in my life. That's, that's wonderful to hear. Isn't it great to see how, you know, Jesus changes us to actually be more other person-centred like him? That's really, that's lovely to hear. Uh, as we were chatting earlier, Alex, you also just mentioned that uh, you've seen some of your priorities change, not just say character, but also priorities change. you want to share about that? Yeah, I think, I think a big thing for me has, has been no longer feeling compelled to follow 
either the usual trajectory or even a trajectory of my life that, that I sort of feel compelled by myself to follow. That is, I'm a pretty driven person. And so I think for a long time went, okay, I need to achieve this, achieve this, land here. Otherwise, if I haven't done that, life just isn't panning out the way it should. Um, Realising that Jesus offers a certain hope, regardless of what I do the rest of my life, has freed me actually to rearrange my priorities. So a really tangible example I can give is a lot of, so I study law, a lot of law students work part-time while they're studying and in law-related jobs in the hope of getting work after uni. And a lot of law firms now demand around two to three days, more actually three days of work a week, which is really difficult to balance with not only full-time study, but service in various ministries. And so I've actually decided against doing that for the last few years so that I can serve more. And that's something I have no regrets about. It's meant things like I've I've also, um, a couple of semesters, I've done three subjects instead of four as well. Um, But being driven by by actually going, my life is secure in Christ's hands. He calls me now to serve his people and proclaim his gospel. That's what's been, that's what's enabled me to go and make those decisions for him. Uh, how about for you, Alice? Are there other areas where God's transformed you to be more like Jesus aside from character? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think the thing that jumped straight to my mind was um, when I started at uni, I came across some kind of trainees, howies, and I just thought, like, aren't they a little bit old to still be around uni, hanging out? Like, I was really unclear to what they were actually doing. Um, And I just thought that is not really a glamorous way to use your Sydney Uni degree to come back and just, like, chat with people about Jesus. Not really sure about that. And then here I am, you know, in my second year of doing the same thing. So I think that, you know, God has transformed my conviction, I guess, that, um, you know, he's given me different skills. How am I going to use them for him? It doesn't have to be in serving a career ambition in one way or the other, Um, but it could be in talking to people about Jesus and that's something I'm free to choose. So um, I think that hasn't been an easy choice for me and lots of people in my life still think that it's a pretty crazy thing to do, Um, but I've seen God continue to work at me to give me like assurance that actually I want to do this and that it's a good thing to do. Uh, so often we're surrounded by the world tells us different things, right? Mm. There's competing visions for what my life should be about. Alice, what's helped you hold on to God's vision for your life? Yeah, well, I think, um, as you mentioned before, I talked about other people. Um, I think I've been really influenced by the voices of kind of godly Christian people around me who just have different priorities, who can live their life contentedly and say, you know, I actually don't aspire to go to Europe eight times or it's okay if I miss out on this experience or this thing that I'm looking to fulfill my desires in now. And I think just being around them, I can see, oh, okay, I actually don't have to chase after those things anymore either. Um, But there is like a competing um, truth that Jesus offers that ultimately is the truth. So that has been super helpful for me. One of the things uh, that I mentioned just earlier was that often difficult external circumstances can be a a prompt for God to do significant internal transformation of us. Just wondering if either of you could 
share a, maybe an example of where in a difficult circumstance you've seen God use that to actually transform you to be more into Jesus' image? Alice? Um, yeah, I think that um, probably people will relate to not loving lockdown, um, although there are a rare few, I think, who are loving it. But um, I think that I have really been, um, it's really difficult when lots of things you're looking forward to are cancelled and it's just filled with disappointments, not being able to visit family, things like that. Um, and so I have just been ruminating on um, the words of one Peter that talk about um, we have this hope that can't be taken away from us, even though there are heaps of good things to hope in in this world. We just can't be sure that they'll happen. Like Ancon is online, not in person, but the hope that we have in Jesus of kind of being raised in those resurrected bodies that you talked about, Rowan, or um, being with him in his presence forever, um, that's not something that's shaky or can be spoiled so I think this time of lockdown has really like helped me to feel that not just to know that thank you what about you Alex yeah we, we had a really tragic event happen at our church recently just before lockdown started we had a 29 year old member of our church um, die quite suddenly from a heart attack um, he had a wife and a 15 month year old child um, I didn't know him particularly well but Actually, he was meant to um, be my uh, mentor as a young adult Bible study leader. And we caught up a couple of months beforehand. Um, he was also particularly close to my, well, my fiancé knew uh, him and uh, his wife well because his wife uh, used to lead her at youth group. And um, that was a really difficult time for us to process just personally, but also as a, as a church community. But the incredible thing I found was actually, even though I only got the one mentoring session with this man, hearing about his life and the way he loved people, he put people first and he was driven by Jesus' example was actually had a profound effect on me in thinking about how I go and live for God in every aspect of my life. So how I um, can be a great family member, how I can be a great work colleague, um, how I can be someone who puts sharing Jesus with people first. Um, so I'm really astounded by how God was able to use something so tragic where we're going, how God could this happen? And yet I've seen that bear great fruit in my life. Yeah, praise God for the way he works through tragic circumstances in that case, yeah. Uh, look, thanks so much for sharing, Alice and Alex. That's been just really helpful to sort of make concrete some of the things we've been looking at from God's word. Alex, would you mind wrapping this session up for us in prayer? Of course. Um, please pray with me, everyone. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to sit under your word and consider your vision for us to grow in the likeness of Jesus, your son. Please help us to be excited by this vision and continue to encourage us by your word, your spirit and your people to grow in godliness. Bless our conversations later today and this week as we seek to encourage one another in this. And we pray that you'll be brought much glory through this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.